it's really important that children be asked a lot of questions about who they are, about what they want. They should be making decisions all along the way rather than just forming their opinions and their goals around the external world. Welcome to Beyond High Street. My name is Jenny Derrick and I'm the Dean of the Pharma School of Business here at Miami University. Today I'm joined by Amy Armstrong, who graduated from Miami with a degree in elementary education in 1983. So not business, and we've got a reason for bringing Amy onto this call. But firstly, thank you so much, Amy. Welcome and thank you for agreeing to do this podcast, Beyond High Street. Thank you. I feel welcome and appreciate being here. So as our listeners know, during the podcast, we weave through a range of topics so our Mm -hmm. listeners can get to know you, more about your journey and your reflections along the way. So let me begin with perhaps the most important question. Why did you choose Miami? That was a very easy choice for me because I followed my sister and she was my guide in anything that she thought was a good idea, I thought was a good idea. So she was a year ahead of me at Miami And I was very happy and eager to follow in her footsteps. And what drew you to elementary education? Mm -hmm. Well, my father um, was a prominent attorney in Columbus. And with my three siblings, he encouraged them to go into law. And he never even mentioned it to me, which told me early on, he really didn't see me in that type of light. And I had such a good experience with several of my teachers growing up. I bonded with them. I felt like they saw me, they understood me, and they celebrated me, and that felt amazing. And so it just seemed like, oh, I could be like them. But in in reality, I really didn't give myself a a broad range of topics. Um, I had always seen myself as sort of a support person, um, and, and my career evolved very differently than that. So it's quite interesting for me to look back and really ask myself that question, why would I have gone into elementary education? And a related question to that, I believe you didn't really teach when you first graduated. So talk to me about that moment in time. Exactly. I went into adult ed um, eventually, but the year I graduated from Miami, 1983, I was very eager to start applying. I had really enjoyed my student teaching But Central Ohio, um, I was from Columbus, and so I went back to apply in that area. And Central Ohio laid off about 450 teachers um, that year. I could not get an interview. And it had never occurred to me that I couldn't just have my pick of positions. I knew I would be, you know, good at whatever I tried and was just really discouraged that I literally did not have one interview. And so you'll get a kick out of this. I went to stay with a friend in Washington, D.C. that summer, just just as an attempt to regroup. And I worked at a temp agency that placed me the day I arrived in Washington, D.C. And I worked for Paul Volcker at the Federal Reserve. And I was in completely out of my element. And I thought it was an absolute treat to get to learn how this big agency worked and, you know, to be in a a very small role there, of course, um, but just really got a kick out of the the much bigger world than I had imagined. 
So by now our listeners might be wondering, why on earth is Amy on the podcast? But right. when, when you and I first met, we've met a couple of times, you know, one of the things that really drew me to you is your focus on the human condition, about your, your passion mm-hmm. for understanding people, the journey that we're on, uh, how we show up, um, how, how we influence others. But talk to me about your career and how that's evolved. And then I want to lean into some of these issues around your, your focus on humanity. Wonderful. So thank you for for asking. So after a brief year, about a year in DC, I started getting into adult education. And what that meant for me was applying some of the concepts that I had learned at Miami through the School of Education, just about how people learn and how we can break down content into relevant chunks of information that we can take in and start to you know, integrate into our uh, prior learning. And as I got into adult education, I realized very quickly that I'm drawn to complexity. I really think I would have gotten um, bored with a lot of the routine work as an elementary education teacher, not that every day isn't quite different for them, but I was absolutely fascinated. I got into teaching when personal computing was first growing and executives and um, secretaries and, you know, all types of um, levels in business, people were, were needing to learn how to use a personal computer on their desk. And this was very foreign. And I was absolutely captivated by the emotional reaction people had to learning something that was completely new for them, where they felt pressure that if they didn't master this skill, it was going to really impact their job and their livelihood. So I became really interested in the intersection um, of what's going on with someone in their inner world with how they're learning in their outer world. And so I would teach these classes where I would have heads of companies and their administrators in the same room and just watching how all those emotions played together and eventually ended up um, once I had my family I ended up getting more interested in the family system and how we learn as parents and how uh, children learn within the context of the family. So let's move on to that too. So you've done a lot of work around coaching and and helping families and and dealing with conflict within families. So as much as you want to share about what your work is, but also some of the issues that we see in front of us today and what's behind my question is that you know we've all lived through COVID. We've had our own lived experience with COVID. It's affected different people in different ways. Um, we look at, at, at younger people in K through 12 and, and how it's impacting them and continuing to impact them. We look at students coming into college. We think about how, how COVID's impacted them. We look at parenting as well, because a lot of our parents spend a lot of time worrying about their children. So talk to me about what you're seeing in your practice and, and some of these challenges that that many of us are facing at different stages of our lives and careers. Absolutely. So COVID really pulled back the curtain on what was going on in a lot of families. And, and COVID forced a new dynamic on a lot of families. And it certainly forced a new dynamic within the education system, both you know, uh, K through 12 and in higher education. And so what I became really fascinated with is that as I would teach adults about family life and we would, you know, maybe they would learn some new skills. 
it wasn't the skill that was the issue. It was the dynamic in the family and how trying something new could really pull the rug out from under the system. And so what happened with COVID is it actually revealed a lot of what was possibly manageable issues in the family or in education that just simply became completely unmanageable. And people had to really start from scratch, figuring out who are we as a family? Who do we want to be? You know, it really gave us a chance to reinvent ourselves. And a lot of people still are not happy with the results, but it really forced a lot of conflict on our systems and in our families that no one would have ever would have ever invited. And how how do you think that's affected? You know, my interest, especially as the age of let's say eighteen to twenty two. How how what what have been the main impacts you you see on this particular age group, this generation? Couple of things. One is an over reliance on technology. I think it was very COVID was very disruptive in in that it the, the technology provides a way for kids to stay connected that has completely reoriented their social engagement. So I remember hearing of some kids during COVID and they were talking about this New Year's party. And I thought, oh, that's so wonderful. They're, you know, still able to get together and, and you know, at least enjoy a party. And it turned out that their entire party was over the computer. They watched a movie together. They literally had, you know, their own own refreshments. They were in their own bedrooms. They weren't interacting with their family and they weren't act- interacting with anyone in person. It was completely over technology. So, so if I can extend that example. So we find that we've, we were actually in a, in a meeting yesterday, we were talking about students starting off at college and preferring to go back into their dorm room and, and, and use technology rather than come out and mix and mingle. So what, how do you help someone transition more into a face-to-face communication style? And is that what we should be aiming for? I'm going to say absolutely yes. And we still need to build in a lot of options because we can't take away something that's already been given, right? Once students have already been given a lot of comfort around technology, we're not going to take that away from them. But even getting together, a matter of fact, one of my stepchildren has a big get together every year where they literally put four or five friends in a room and they connect all their devices, but they're in the room together. So there's still certainly ways we can use technology, but I absolutely believe that kids just need more structure around their engagement. We can't expect them to basically start from scratch. They need more settings where there's a little bit of structure um, to it. Maybe, maybe a theme, maybe a project, maybe a specific goal in mind rather than expecting them to just pick up where they left off of just more random gatherings. So it does require a little bit more direction, a little bit more, um, just a little bit more structure that gives them something to start with in order to rebuild. One thing I think of as a dean of a business school, you know, we focus a lot on career and and families expect a lot with respect to return on investment. It's something we talk about on almost on a daily basis. But then when I look at our students, I look at the 
what that can do to students, you know, the, the the feeling that if you haven't landed the top job, you've somehow failed. If you haven't landed the, the job with the highest salary, you've somehow failed. And again, I come back to the point that higher education is not cheap and families are concerned about the value. But as I have said, this has put so much emphasis on return on investment. So what mm-hmm. advice would you give to both parents and children about this focus we have on return on investment and starting salaries and as as, as a definer of, of success. Yeah, I can actually mention my own son who gave me permission to tell a little bit of his story where it took him three jobs out of graduating from the farmer school at Miami before he started to say, oh, this is who I am, right? So all through Um, coming up in the family, it's really important that children be asked a lot of questions about who they are, about what they want. They should be making decisions all along the way, rather than just forming their opinions and their goals around the external world. And so this is something we can include inside higher education, as well as in the family, is more opportunities for students to defend why they're choosing what they're choosing. You know, I'm very clear that I chose Miami without any thought other than, oh, well, if my sister thought it was a good idea, it would be good for me. I'm not sure anyone asked me why else I might want to go to Miami. And so asking questions, I mean, we've come into an age now where um, emotional intelligence is absolutely included in a lot of learning now. You know, it's not new anymore. And we can extend it much farther where we can allow students to talk about what it's like when they get a little bit uncomfortable. It's so important for students to learn to expand their capacity for discomfort rather than just automatically making things easier or quicker. And so I think the more of those conversations we can have, it's okay to really challenge students about who they are rather than letting them just lean into the shoulds. Well, I should go to Miami because it has a wonderful reputation, or I should go for this job because it has the highest salary. So what we're doing is is really looking at that intersection between academic rigor, making money, and well-being. And we're learning to integrate well-being into more of our decision making and more of our everyday um, interactions and i love that i love that intersection and i think as, as you're speaking and for those who students who are listening i think what's really important when we think of what the farmer school offers we do have incredible alumni any of our alumni are willing to give our students time so if there are students listening reach out to alumni and try and understand what they do and what their role is what their journey's been Go to the speakers, you know, participate in the courses where we showcase different occupations. And I think to your point, Amy, you know, I remember a dear friend of mine who's a career coach and she used the term the trying 20s. And I hadn't heard that term before. I'm sure you mm-hmm. have. But in your 20s, it's okay to try a lot of different things. And, 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 and that's fine, too. It doesn't necessarily define your whole career, but I think it's perfectly fine. What, what would you say? I, I think giving ourselves permission to experiment is so important. Try it out and be completely, you know, open, giving yourself permission to like this, not like that, and maybe keep trying a little bit and refining what it is about a certain professor or a certain 
course or a certain idea of a career that appeals to you and what doesn't. And to me, there's just so much investment in our comparison culture. I'm not down on technology. It's just we're only highlighting the highs and sometimes the low, you know, the extreme lows on technology. And we we really want to see through social media and look at what's 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 the person going through the rest of the day when they're not posting, right? About that that whole person approach to developing intuition, right? Developing a trust in oneself that if you have a really strong gut feeling about something, go with it, explore it, believe it. Even if the people around you aren't saying the same thing or telling you that you're right on track, go ahead and explore. And I love that. And I think to your point, I think social media allows us to curate perfect lives and to look as if we're living our best life. And I think any one of us would admit that we're all trying to lead a life of meaning and purpose. We we all have good days and bad days. And, you know, sometimes it's not obvious to people looking at us whether we are having a good or a bad day. And I think it's it's about giving ourselves permission to to really reflect and be in touch with who we are and how we show up and, and what gives us joy, how we interact with others, how we influence others. And I think there's such important lessons. There's really no formula for it. So it truly is a path that everyone gets to invent for themselves by believing what they know, believe what they feel, believe where their leanings are and see where it takes them. Because like, you know, when I was watching my son go through these positions one after another and his, you know, his heart would break briefly and then he would say, oh, I'm so glad I've moved on. And he would feel relieved. And I look at him now working in a position on a team. He loves working on a team and in that he just has the right amount of direction versus the right amount of ability for himself to invest in his own creativity that works for him. And you can't paint that picture for someone else. It really has to be felt. And I think the other part that we've hinted at on this call is being true to who you are. But again, to the students who are listening, we do have a lot of opportunity within the school to do different assessments, to talk, you know, to really go through that process of discovery, whatever the instrument is. There are plenty of, of, of techniques and tools to help you try and isolate passion and, and so forth. One, one of the ways I like to talk about it is what does it really look like to expand our capacity for discomfort? The way we talk about this most often is the simple term getting out of your comfort zone. That's all getting out of your comfort zone is, is learning to appreciate the times in life when you're challenged. It doesn't feel good in the moment, but looking back, that's where all the learning happens. And so the way my business has evolved is really into conflict resolution. And the the way it evolved was that as I was working with families, the ones that were the most drawn to work with me were in these intense conflicts. And I found that I enjoyed it. People ask me all the time, how can you work with heated conflict, whether it's in the workplace or in the family, you know, doesn't that get to you? And I said, to me, I love the complexity. I love to look at what's happening and where the person or persons have done something that they thought they should do that was simply wrong for them. It was inauthentic. They were pushing themselves in a direction that didn't work. And sure enough, it led 
to a problem that got bigger and bigger and bigger, and they eventually ended up in my office. And some of them end up in court. A lot of my uh, my clients are involved in um, situations in court. And so when I when I talk to them and they unpack their journeys, they can often pinpoint the place in their life when they knew that a decision was wrong for them and they did it anyway. So one of my nieces asked me one time, she was, she was just so, she was just darling the way she was asking this because she was basically saying, Aunt Amy, how can I be sure and not end up where you, where you went, where I had a, you know, dark time. And I said, listen, when you see a red flag, believe it. It's, it's really there for you to take note and say, what is this that I'm sensing and what is it about? Because it's a stop. It's a place to really stop and reevaluate and not push yourself down a path just because you've already started down that path. And I think one of the things that you said right at the beginning of this answer was to be, you didn't quite specifically say it like this, but to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. And I think so many students just want to be comfortable all the time. And I think parents want their students to be comfortable all the time. And that's one of the things we really focus on in the entrepreneurship program is we we really encourage our students to learn how to be uncomfortable with, with change and ambiguity. And I think there's such important skills that perhaps we've lost. I don't know. I don't measure them over time, but I think we need to be really thoughtful about that. I think so. One, one of the ways I think we've lost it is we've done a really good job learning about empathy and we've learned how to listen to feelings what I call toxic empathy is when we stop there, that just because something feels a certain way, that that's the end of it. No, we we should be supportive of one another so that we can keep going, so that we can push ourselves more. You know, the more support we have, the more challenge we're able to manage. And so as we've learned how to be more social, socially, emotionally aware, we want to pair that up with challenge. It's like, oh, good, because we know how to support one another. How can we go on and challenge? I love that. So supporting is important, but it gives us that uh, the comfort and, and, and that mm-hmm. we can do. Exactly. I love that. All right, time to switch gears. And now it's time to go down memory lane, the, the Miami memory lane. So when you look back at your time at Miami, who was your favorite professor or, and or favorite course that you took? Oh, boy. I had a lot of people that were really influential. I would have to say one of the professors I probably enjoyed the most was during my time in Luxembourg when Edward Tamarkin was uh, one of my English professors and he was very theatrical. And so I found him to be quite entertaining. He took us on a wonderful trip um, to London and to Bath, England, and just was absolutely entertaining. And I think one of the things I especially liked about him was he let me share a little bit of family life because I thoroughly enjoyed his lovely wife, Annette, and they would have me spend time with their daughter, Emma, who sadly um, passed away unexpectedly a couple of years ago. Um, But I remember seeing Dr. Tamarkin just really love what he was doing. And he just brought literature alive. Um, What about your, was there a least favorite subject that you had to take? 
It's a little embarrassing, but I will say I got a little bit of, I got a little bit bored in some of my teacher ed classes. We had these methods classes and I, they were actually, several of them were very similar. And I remember being a little bit frustrated because we didn't have room in uh, for a lot of electives. And I remember thinking, all right, already, can I do something that I, you know, that is completely new or completely creative for me. So I remember getting a little bit and, bored. And, and for students who are listening, I can't, I don't have an opinion on teacher ed, but I do know that one thing we pay attention to is making sure there is room in the curriculum. It's one of my hot topics at the moment. What co-curricular activities were you involved in? So I was actually in a sorority, which I loved because it gave me some structure and I was very social and I appreciated always have something to do. And I think my favorite activity was actually our um, intramural sports. So we had a um, our sorority participated in the Theta Chi football. I don't know if they still do it. I'd love to know. But that was definitely where I came out. I tended to hold back a lot in social situations, but I played football. And when we played flag football, matter of fact, it was fun. When I moved to D.C., I got to be on the uh White House flag football team. And I remember thinking that was a fun fact that I played football for five years. And of course it was, you know, I love flag. it. It's really good. And also but I think those Sunday afternoons um playing sports were absolutely the time that I felt the most, you know, the most fun. And what I love about that, I and mean, one of the benefits of Miami is that we are residential and you do get through these sorts of activities to meet students in other divisions. And so you're not spending your life just with education students or just with business school students. So what was your favorite uh, time of the day for class? Basically, were you a morning person or not? A thousand percent morning person. So matter of fact, I had to teach myself how to nap in the afternoons because I would have loved to get up at 6 a.m. and go to bed at 9 p.m. And that is just not a thing for college students. And I remember thinking there's no way I'm going to ask my roommates to be quiet so I can go to sleep early. So I would literally nap for probably an hour and a half before dinner so I could stay up, but then still get up early. I oh, always okay. had eight o'clock classes. Those mm. were the best. What was your favorite night of the week while you were at Miami? <sighs> I would probably stick with my Sundays. Those were my days that felt really free to me. You know, every other night, there was always something structured going on. So, yeah, I did like going out a lot on the weekends. You know, that would always start on Thursday and we could just walk everywhere and, you know, we need, didn't need to plan much, which was always nice. But I think I was a Sunday person then just the quietness of Sunday night yeah yeah where did you live in your freshman year Porter Hall room 242 oh you'd even remember well yeah. done you yeah. <laughs> so. I loved South Quad we had so much fun in the dining hall I just remember we would spend probably two hours going to dinner we'd go to dinner early and stay late and that was a beautiful social time as well as you know all the endless food but yeah, I loved Porter Hall and then I stayed in South Quad for sophomore year as well. What's your favorite building on campus? Not uptown, but on campus. Well, I definitely loved McGuffey Hall where I had almost all my classes. I have such special memories though of the 1809 room. Is it still there? 
do they still call it the 1809 room? It was the, um, it was where a lot of professors had their meals. No, we do not have that. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, so I had these, I always taught Sunday school up at the Methodist church and I would teach Sunday school. I had the third and fourth grade girls. Um, they sell, se separated the girls and boys at that time. And then I would get on my bike after Sunday school and I would ride down the hill to the 1809 room, put on my white crisp starched dress and my white shoes and serve lunch. And so a lot of the same families of the children that I had had in Sunday school would be there for lunch. And it was just such a fun day. It was really, I'm just so oriented toward, you know, I love being around families and I love being around children um, when I was in school. So that's it's probably a very different answer than, than one might expect. That's so good. I, really I love your answer. Love What's it. your favorite spot uptown? Let's see. I probably spent the most time at attractions. Um, it's uh, what's there now. It's where um, oh, it's escaping me what it was called when I first went there when I was in high school. Um, but it was the you know probably the most frequented. Um, what's the oh, it's embarrassing. I can't think of the name right now. But it was called attractions when the, we were there. I'm not sure what it's called now. And I probably spent the most time there, but I used to sneak off to CJ's. Um, and I remember <laughs> loving so the music funny. there. And there <laughs> were always such interesting people there. And I would just get into the, I would just have these fun, you know, I felt like I could really, you know, didn't have to fit into a mold there. So I remember really feeling like myself at CJ's. Have you, did you go back to CJ's? Have you been back with your son at college? Did you ever set foot mm -hmm. back inside CJ's? No, but it it I think I might have to put that in my back pocket as something. There we go. To put Next time you visit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, good, good. If you look back at your time at Miami, what would you have done differently? Is there anything you would have done differently? Yes, I would. Um, I knew that I was struggling in a lot of ways. I knew that I was really struggling to be a good decision maker. I was really following along, you know, the path that had been laid out for me. And I think if I had it to do again, I would have trusted that I probably could have used a little more support. I think I would have sought out, I think I would have sought out a little more support, a mentor. I would have let people get to know me a little bit better. I really That's had- I love a, that. a difficult journey. I don't look back on mm. my Miami years and and see myself as very authentic. Yeah, and I, I would have loved I, to have explored that more. I think for the students who are listening too, you know, perhaps what's different today than in the time that you went through college, which is about the same time I went through, Amy. We didn't have so many support services in place for our students either. But if students are listening, you know, don't be shy to reach out. We've got incredible faculty, staff and colleagues who, who are there to help and there to support. So we're just moving to the very last part of this podcast. And I know a lot of the time during the podcast, we've been giving advice to students. But let's just wrap that part up by what, what are the a couple of bullet points you would give to an incoming first year student about how to, to enjoy and succeed during their time here at Miami? 
Well, I would definitely commit to a broad path. Please don't narrow your path. Don't narrow who you're with. Keep your eyes and ears open for new friends. Keep making new friends. Keep expanding. You know, expansion might be a great word for the college years. Just just fall in love with lots of subjects and lots of different people and different experiences rather than trying to figure out exactly who you are. Don't reach any conclusions. Love that. And what about advice for someone who's just been out of college for one or two years? What advice would you give them? Mm -hmm. You know, I think the same advice would last quite a while after school gets out. Give yourself permission to experiment, move to different cities, try out different ideas. Um, It's just such a time when I see lots of families struggling because their children are just struggling to launch because the child is trying to figure out everything of what they want for the rest of their life right now. So I would say keep a pretty short-term focus for a while. Now, I don't usually ask this question of my podcast people, but I'm going to re-ask those questions. And what advice would you give parents of Mm -hmm. first-year students coming in? And then we'll do the same for someone who's recently launched their career. Just ask questions, make time, listen, support. Kids really don't need your lectures. They really don't need you to, 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 put them into a hole and, and, you know, we just really want to help our kids know that it's okay that they have a, a flexible way of being right now and really encourage that. You know, what I, what I work with a lot with families is, is for the parents to look at their own needs, take care of your own needs rather than trying to get your needs met through your children, right? Lovely. Let your children struggle a little bit, let yourself expand your capacity to not need your child to have everything perfect right now. Just, we all need to just lean in that life does have a lot of uncertainty and let's learn to enjoy the ride rather than trying to get everything figured out and everything in line. So as we head into the second part of that question, I just would like to add parents who are listening, it's not okay to phone your child's employer and negotiate their starting salary. And it's not okay to phone your child's employer and question the project team that your child's being put on. So with that in mind, what other advice might you give parents of early career young people? I really would encourage parents to embrace the struggle. Let your child struggle. Let them make a decision that you don't think is perfect for them so that they can learn their own lessons. We don't want our children to be dependent on us. I did not learn to start making independent decisions and I'm not exaggerating. I was in my 40s. I had had a lot of dark times before then because I did not develop my ability to trust myself. So it's much more important for a 20-something to learn to trust themselves and to play and explore and experiment than it is to get it what, what someone else might say is right for them. And we use the, you know, you don't, you, parents who are listening, you don't want to be the snowplow that's clearing the path and just making it perfectly clear for, you, for your child as You're much as we love our kids. Years. We're not helping them. So this has been a fabulous podcast. So thank you, Amy, so much for the gift of your time to allow us to record this podcast. 
One of the things I love about Miami and Farmer's School is just how dedicated and committed our alumni are to the good, good of the university, how willing they are to continue to find ways to support the school, our students, our faculty, our staff and other alumni. So thank you, Amy, and go well as you continue in your journey beyond High Street. Thank you for having me.